Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast, the only interdimensional exploration podcast. Thanks again for joining us, and tonight we're going to be talking about something that is a little bit unusual, especially for a game that is usually considered to be science fiction, and that is we're going to be talking about magic and psionics on the Fringe Pass. Now, most of the games out there who have magic and psionics, you know, they're not multi-genre like we are. And so, because it is, because Fringeworthy crosses multiple universes, there are many opportunities, not only for magic to exist in one universe and not another, but it also allows the magic to be different in one node versus another. Otto, you had something you wanted to talk about about this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... When I was thinking about the whole magic thing in Fringeworthy, it got me to thinking about if magic works in one place, does it work in another place? The, the power of magic crossover fringe paths and stuff like that. So I just thought that it would be a good opportunity to dedicate a whole show to it because it is such far-reaching. You know, it's not just that magic can unbalance a game. You know, because technology can unbalance a game just as easily, and then. Uh, there's the fact that uh, I think I, I believe it was Asimov said that you know any any technology you know that is far yeah. enough advanced will appear as magic. Actually, it's Clark. And it was any, Clark. Any, okay. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Ah, thank you. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. So technology could be just as crazy as, as anything magic. So I don't think it's it's a matter of worrying about whether magic. Uh, overpowers or doesn't, but it's a matter of of being consistent and being you know true to the the, the nature of it. So uh, that's why I, you know that's what I thought we would we would get into tonight. So I guess the first question that any GM has to ask himself is whether or not magic or psionics is appropriate for his game. There are some races out there that say that they have psionics. Okay, so, you know, that's in the game system. However, if you want to play your game as a straight science fiction, then there's no reason why you have to introduce mages. And it's certainly you don't have, if you do so, you don't have to introduce them with all of the uh, genre-type stuff. They don't have to be- wear robes and you have little pointy hats, okay, you know, or, or carry uh, hockey sticks uh, like... Uh, <laughs> A certain, like, a certain like the, series, yeah. Like, like the Dresden Files, right. And what I'm saying is you can basically uh, roll this any way you want to, okay? But we're going to talk about some of the things that are, as far as extant in the system, and, and then maybe some jumping-off points for where you can go from there. John, why don't you tell us what's in our Fringeworthy Bible? According to the Bible, if you have magic, it will work on the platform, and it's, and it's related platforms, so that means... The entire node, prime platform, 
alternate platform, the system platform, and then eventually out to the stellar platforms. Since they're all technically within the same universe and metaverse, magic will work on that entire node, which means it'll also work on any one of the worlds attached to that node. And the section on magic actually came from a couple of short stories I wrote about what happens when you go to a magical world, like one where vampires exist or one where werewolves exist. What would happen and how would it work elsewhere? If you got bit by a werewolf, are you SOL everywhere or just SOL on that node with with the werewolf? And I guess the most important thing to consider here is not so much how the power works in that world because... If you set up a world and the players go there, it doesn't matter how you run it when you're there. The real important crux of everything gets down to what happens when you leave that world. I mean, that's like, I think that becomes the absolute most important thing to think about when you're playing the game because you could have conflicting magic. You have magic on one world that does one thing and magic on another world that does absolutely the opposite thing for the exact same reasons. So you'd have to draw the line, or you might go to a world where there absolutely is no magic, and it's important that there's no magic for whatever reason. So I think that's really, honestly, the biggest concern when it comes to Fringeworthy. And you understand, when we say magic, that includes sci. For a lot of people, sci is magic, not sci-fi. Right. Or science fiction. Sci is also just variation of magic, and so are superpowers. Right, or chi, chi powers, you know, martial yeah. arts chi powers. Yeah, PSI, sci. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and not pound for square inch. We're talking psionics. Psionics, which which, uh, my wife insists is not a real word, even though I found it on Wikipedia. Uh, Well, I know my my spell check doesn't like it. (laughs) The first decision you have to make is, if you do decide to have magic or psionics in your world, first of all, do you want magic or psionics? Okay, if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. And I know this is important to a lot of people because a lot of people, they're playing a science fiction game and they don't like magic in their science fiction game. Just the same way the people who are playing high fantasy don't like someone showing up with a bazooka and an AK-47. It's one of those, you got chocolate in my peanut butter, you got peanut butter in my chocolate situation. And not everyone's going to like the combination. And that's okay. But for those who do want it, listen on. Right. Psionics exists on Earth Prime. One of the characters, uh, Waylay, is psionic. You know, she's an empath with some uh, telepathy abilities. So right there, there's a character right out of the book, right out of the get-go, who probably take off a few people. So if you don't want psionics in your game, then maybe uh, you need to rethink how you're going to run Fringeworthy because um, it's about as core as it gets. Every edition of Fringeworthy has had some version of psionics in it. The earliest edition, you literally, they had a, li- a list of like six abilities, and you got to like roll a die to see if you got one, and you just would take one. It was like telekinesis. You can lift five pounds for like five minutes. That was like the, the extent of the ability. And then the later versions, it was much more expanded. And, and of course, you know, we're using D20 Modern. Uh, there's a whole thing about, you know, using magic and psionics. Uh, and uh, we even did our a little bit of a different take on that as well in our, our edition. It's up to you, the GM, to decide what magic or psionic system you want to use. If you want to use the one in D20 Modern, that's great. You know, but whatever you want to use, don't be afraid to change it from node to node because as the realities change, magic can also change, and that surprises the players. It could be a lot of fun to do that. 
In one world, you might cast a simple light spell, and it might go off like a nuclear blast. In another, another one, your most powerful mage can barely uh, a tinkle of water out of the sky when he casts some kind of downpour. Or someplace where magic is ritual magic, and you're looking at at least an hour to do something, and it's going to be something fairly complex. For example, be in the Earth Prime, and your telekinesis could be somewhat limited compared to a lot of different worlds, and you could go into, say, the if, if you're if your game master was running like a, a, a D20 saga edition, um, and, and you know he was willing to do any conversions that were necessary because he wanted to run it there, you could have the, the what the force powers unleashed, and you're being able to lift you know a few pounds for a while. Would go into being able to move a star cruiser across the universe. Yeah, it could, it could be fun. Oh yeah, it could also wreck your game. So you know, right. be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Because the default behavior is to limit it, uh, at least magic, to a single node. If you make a mistake, you can say, okay, we're not going back to that node. Just quarantine it off and keep it okay, you know? So let's get this straight. So what you're saying is, is if I'm on Earth Prime and I can use telekinesis, and then I go somewhere where uh, a telekinesis spell requires material components, I might try and cast my spell and it it won't work. Right. And then I might talk to some other wizard or something and say, you know, I, I can do telekinesis. I really can. It doesn't work. It's like, well, did you did you have the stone and the cloth? And like, the what? what? Right. And then he say, yeah, here. You use the stone and the cloth. Rub the stone with the cloth and blah, blah, blah. You get telekinesis or whatever, you know, whatever the mechanism is. Right. And then you do it and you're like, oh, crap. It, it It's working now all of a sudden. Or you have to use a, a, a strange form of Latin. Uh, levitus opidus. Right. 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 Or, okay. Uh, I'm always imagining where you go through and you're looking at the wizard and the wizard says, okay, show me how you do it. And you stand there and you, you know, you wrinkle your brow and you, you twist your face. He says, are you constipated or something? <laughs> right. <laughs> waiting for someone to, you, you to do some ritual, right? You know, so, right. And that can also happen with psionics. Now, psionics, according to the Bible, does transcend all the nodes. Unless, of course, you as the gen decide you're not going to do that. And that's primarily because psionics is looked at in the game historically as being something that comes from yourself. It's not from, you know, an external power source. It's not from a lot of different things. It's just kind of being generated out of your own mind. And therefore, since your mind is always with you and you you never lose your mind, at least hardly ever, uh, as you go from world to world, then by that same kind of logic, your psionics will continue with you. It's magic, which usually involves power from another source, is what seems to be limited. But in regards to that, uh, John, why don't you tell us about some of the different places that magic can come from, considering these are all different kinds of nodes. Well, in most cases, it comes down to there's some sort of mana field that you're working in, and you just tap into it, and boop, you're doing it. Uh, right. that, that can be translated as mana, ley lines, midichlorians, whatever. Uh, they all work together and that you tap into it. Others, you are trying to convince some sort of spirit to do the work for you and produce the, the spell effects. Or and, grant you the power. Or grant you the power. Or you, you just turn into an avatar. Or, like I said, there's divine powers, which are being granted these powers by your god. Or you get taken over by your god and he does the work for you through your, through your body as an avatar. So I would imagine that the divine powers would be the most restrictive because it would seem to me, at least if I was running the game, the way I would do it is 
that these divine powers exist on certain worlds, and if you leave your node, you're leaving your god behind. And I know that from a gaming standpoint, if you're playing a character who has abilities and he gets it from his divine beings, and you travel to another node, it can be quite disappointing. You know, it's like, oh, I can only use my powers on this node. But if you want to be a game master, you want to be fair to the person, you could say, all right, well, look, yours is kind of restrictive, but what I'm going to say is that alternate gods of yours can exist in other worlds, and you just have to, like, go and pray and make contact with them to regain those powers again. But I still see that as being the most restrictive. Yeah. I don't see it as being, like, the most restrictive in the sense of the least amount of power, because... If you're actually the avatar of a god, and it's a real god, like the way most people think of a god, then you might have tons more power than some guy who waves a wand, who dabbles with hedge magic or things like that. So you might have the potential for enormous amounts of power, but you're also constrained because you're having to answer to this higher being or lower being, depending upon how you look at it. Right, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't trying to insinuate the... Um it, it wasn't the what of your power. It was the the who or the where of your power. So in other words, you're not constrained in your power level. You're just constrained in your power access. Okay. If, if you're a follower of Thor and you're right. using, using those kind of powers, you might, say, on Erd, be able to contact and talk to their version of Thor and find out and see if you can get some power from him. So he may be kind of weak right, right now, and he says, well, I can give you a little bit. <laughs> right. And, and for example, let's say, let's say you go to the, um, was it Tazeel? Is that the lizard? Um, yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? Right. Okay, so let's say you go to the Tazeel's home world, or you go to their node. Uh, they may have a version of Thor. Maybe they, they have Thor there. Uh, but he's totally different from your concept of Thor. And instead of casting lightning bolts, you know, you can cast uh, uh, streams of water. Maybe he's like an, uh, a water god there. So it's like you go to hit some of the lightning bolt and a, and a funnel of water comes out of the sky. And you know, you know. But, but the point is, is that, you know, you would have to, it would manifest differently for that god in that location. I can see now Thor the Thunder Lizard. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Okay. Well, I always thought he'd be really good for buffing. You know, he'd have all kinds of, you know, give you all kinds of spells for, you know, the strength of the, of the thunder lizard. And, right. uh, or, or, you know, the claws of the uh, uh, velociraptor. And all of a sudden your hands elongating get all gnarly. So, right. You know, may, maybe on that world, instead of just casting lightning bolts or doing, you know, whatever power that he would give you, you know, it causes you to, to like, grow scales and slitted eyes and, you're like, man, what the hell is going on with me? It's like, well, no, Thor's a thunder lizard, and he is a jealous god, and you must look like him to wield his power. It's like, oh, okay. Another source of uh, magic could be the life energy of the combined life force of a planet. And you, you kind of talked about that, John, when you talked about ley lines. But it could yeah. just be a, a whole general field of, of energy. Yeah. Uh, I believe the Dark Over series was like that. That usually rolled up into the, the concept of mana. Mana usually is considered either a life force uh, of the planet, or, or actually mana is usually considered the untapped power of living beings, and only some only certain people can actually tap into that power and use it. Right. For well, the interesting thing about this particular source of magic is the fact that if you go to another world, let's say Mars, where there's no life, 
that even though you're in a, a universe where magic is acceptable, where magic is real, you might not be able to do anything because you're no longer within the umbrella of that life force, that, 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 that mana field. You probably would be able to cast spells on the Prime platform, but as soon as you get off the Prime or Ultimate platforms, you can't cast magic on that, on that node. If you've ever read anything by Kevin J. Anderson, the uh, Saga of the Seven Sons, they have these, uh, one of the race of people have integrated with the trees, and there's the, the world tree. And if they take one of the trees with them from the world tree, they, they basically pop this little plant, and they can travel anywhere in the universe, and they can instantly communicate with anyone else with another world tree pod. You know, that's a good example of touching into the life form on that world, and would only be, that'd be a magic they could only use on that world. Especially from Larry Nivens when the magic went away, where they discovered that mana is not a renewable resource. And the more you use of it, the more it goes away. Right. Okay. And the only reliable source of renewable mana was necromancy. Oh, <laughs> never run out of that. Oh, no. Right. Well, in a way, that is a form of uh, life force. Um, I know that on a, a couple of worlds where the, the mages actually got their power by trapping souls of living beings, intelligent beings, basically what you think of as your soul, and then putting it through the ringer and extracting energy from it. They were universally considered as evil dudes because of that, because you know, they were powering all of their magic off of you know, the, 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 the tortured souls of people they had captured. Now, you can yeah. also be in a world where to cast a spell, you have to make a sacrifice. And the bigger your effect, the bigger the sacrifice. So if you got like a pocket full of mice, you can probably do, do little spells, but you can't do anything big. But if you say sacrifice a person, yeah, you can do a really big spell. You sacrifice a larger animal, you know, say like a whale, you can do one whale of a spell, basically. That would be a, either a divine because you're making an appeal to a god to, to get, grant you power as a result, or you're literally releasing the life force, which you're then channeling into your spell by the killing of the animal. That's correct. In the project I'm working on, the Mythic Steel project, uh, that's how I treated magic. One of the ways you could get power was to burn your own soul. And your soul would replenish itself, but when you burn it, you, you actually injure yourself. But you could also store souls in, in soul stones. And they were essentially called, when you made them into a magic item, they were called soul forges. And you would literally burn the soul for its power. And then you would give it time to let it heal itself. So you can only burn so much of it, and then it would heal itself over time. And then you could use it again. That's the kind of magic I could see crossing over a lot, being very utilitarian, because um, you're not asking for anything to come from anywhere in that world. You're literally working on your own internal kind of uh, engine there. But, of course, there are those worlds where magic does not work. And it doesn't matter what you do. You walk that world, your side turns off, your magic stops working, and that's all, you know, if you're a magical being, unless, unless you de depend on magic to stay alive, you become a non-magical bird. If you're an elf, you basically become a person with pointed ears, and that's hmm. about it. <sighs> We've had this discussion before about what happens if you go to a world where you really can't live there, and they kind of discussed that a bit in the problem portals. Mm -hmm. Where they talk about where you go when you go to a world that has a reality that's a weird reality that it, you'll go through and you'll be fine for a while, but then you'll start catching up to the reality and you'll sicken and die because it really can't support you. 
And so I would think that somebody who was magical like this would probably fall into the same kind of condition, yeah. where so, initially they'd be all right. So if you were, like, for example, from, from the Riddick series, if you were playing one of the elementals, like, let's say you're playing a character who is an elemental from, from that world, they're inherently magic, or inherently magical, or, or metaphysical, as it would were. Um, so if you were to travel to a world where that was completely impossible, you would go through as normal, but then you would start to, let's say, burn out or fade out. Well, if you're a fire elemental, you, if you're made all molten rock, you start, you start turning into a statue, basically. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. And that's, that's important to note, because in the multitudes of, of places you could be or come from, you could be playing a character. Like, okay, for example, let's say uh, you got a group of players who likes you know, the Masquerade series, and this person has decided, well, we're going to play Fringeworthy, but we're going to play with Masquerade characters, and you're playing a vampire, and someone else is playing a werewolf, and someone else is playing a, a, a wraith, and they're traveling around the fringe path, and they go somewhere where magic doesn't work. Well, it's pretty easy. The vampire guy would probably just become like a guy, as would the werewolf. He wouldn't be able to transform. But the guy who's playing the wraith, would he become a guy, or would he become, or would he start to dissipate? I would think he would probably dissipate. Yeah, also, right. also depending, too, on whether or not the vampire was a... Depending on your definition of vampire, if you have to die to become a vampire, the vampire becomes a dead person. Okay, so <laughs> he would actually start expiring, like turning into like sort of a, a zombie, but a zombie who was actually becoming yeah. uh, becoming dead, like really dead. Yeah, yeah he... As if he was, like, made of sand, and he slowly starts, like, dusting away. He starts catching up to where he should be right, right about now, so... Okay. Uh, you know, he starts decaying. <laughs> but it would be a fair transition. It would be enough to let the players know, hey, look, if you guys don't get out of here soon, you know right. you're going to be you're gonna be done. Yeah. That's kind of the policy we have in Fringe Warrior, that, you know, we're, we, you know, don't be a sadist, you know, give your players a chance. You know, if they go to a world where they can't survive through no fault of their own, they just didn't know that they couldn't survive, give them an out. Give them at least a chance to realize that, hey, you know, this is the wrong place for me to be. There are some places I simply cannot go. And technically, I hate to say it, but vampires probably would never exist beyond their node. So they can travel all up and down their node, but since they travel off the node, they're off, off reservation. And they probably also experience the same effects. Well, now, what would be a cool effect would be if you were playing a character, let's say you're playing a character who you say, all right, look, I've joined the I've joined the IDET team. I come from another world. In that world, I was a vampire. But coming through the fringe pass actually cured me. I am now a human again with no powers, but I have knowledge of vampires. And, and maybe even that would explain, like, if you were playing a character with some psionics or something, maybe that would explain that or some, some maybe some minor special abilities or something. That would be an interesting character to develop, and then what would be even more interesting is you go back to that world, and all of a sudden you're a vampire again. Yeah. Especially if vampires there are actually a different race rather than being dead. That right. would make sense. And then, then you're right. You, you turn into a, a person with, with long fangs, and that's about it. You need to dentist. <laughs> ben Grimm can finally get cured. Yeah. Right. Until <laughs> he hits another comic universe, and then he turns back to Ben Grimm again. <laughs> This time he's not Rocky. He, he goes to the Ghostbuster world, and he is, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> Let's say you go to a world where there's, you know, magical creatures, say, say an Earth Elemental, and you capture it. And you bring it out into the French path, and 
the game master determines, well, that can't exist here on the French path, would it disappear, or do you think it would become a statue, or what would happen to it? Well, I think it depends on the elemental. I mean, if it's like a, a earth elemental that's represented by pure flame, uh, fire goes out. If it's a water elemental, it's represented by by water. It turns into, you've got a bucket of water at that point. Well, the first thing you have to determine is, is this elemental fringe-worthy? Yeah. Right. Because okay. it can't, then it doesn't, it doesn't get to leave. So assuming right. it can leave, well, it, as long as it stays on its node, it, it, it can survive. It can move around. Yeah. But once you take it out onto the fringe path, heading toward another node, that's when I think that, uh, the earth elemental or the, the uh, stone elemental starts stiffening up and the earth and the fire elemental starts flaming out or it, it's, it's getting smaller, you know, starts shrinking because its fuel is now real and not just metaphysical and it, it's using it up. You know, there's a lot of things you could do to let them know that, hey, this thing is going to disappear quick. Yeah, so. and there and there are some things, there are some spells and so forth. I mean, you find a magic lantern, you rub it, and you get a genie. No matter how hard you try, you cannot make your best friend back in Earth Prime fringeworthy with a wish, because they ain't going to travel. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move on to. Yes, they have a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you go to the world where you know you have Hellboy. Yeah. And you convince. Let's say Hellboy is fringeworthy. And he steps on the platform. What happens at that point? Does he just become a weird-looking guy? Well, I think he'd have a stone arm prosthetic instead of a normal arm. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. And uh, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, he eats food. He drinks beer. You know. I mean, uh, as far as I can tell, all the stuff inside, uh, you know, is is normal metabolism. Yeah. You know, no, nothing that's insupportable. So uh, he he wouldn't be invulnerable the way he is now, because uh, I assume that that's some kind of magical effect. Yeah. So right. so he'd be real surprised when someone goes and you know, <laughs> smacks him one and it actually hurts. Yeah. Right. But that's, so that's, so he's a he's a big strong red dude with uh, some shaved off horns and a stone prosthetic arm. Right. Well, a stone arm because it doesn't work. Uh, but that does bring up a big question though about metaverses quite possible that there's a metaverse involved, the comic book metaverse, where you have all these different universes that basically are comic books. For we know, they may share a single hell. As long as you're within those nodes, Hellboy's Hellboy. So what you're saying there is that if I go to any node where the, the game master determines, okay, hell is a real dimension, there really is a hell in this dimension, somebody like Hellboy would work on any one of those nodes just the way he normally is. Yeah. Okay, I, well, I like that. I like that's that. a possibility. Another possibility is a cluster of nodes. They were all magical. Not that they were the same universe, but they were all magical, and therefore you would be able to kite from one node to another because your magic was supported in each one of those nodes, so you'd have no trouble traveling from one to the other. Right, okay. I like that, too. And if John was is correct in saying that they share the same hell, that also would mean that people could actually travel from one node to another and not be fringeworthy if they had access to some kind of magical transportation through that shared dimension of hell. Oh, hold on, wait a minute, Bruce. You're opening up a big, big thing here. So, so what you're saying is that you could travel f- through different nodes without actually having to be fringe-worthy or traveling through the fringe path, that there is another form of travel that is potentially possible. 
It, as John said, they all shared the same, let's say, hell. That's a big if. The GM wants to do it, that's fine. Because, again, you know, we're not talking about the entire multiverse here. We're talking about a collection of nodes. Yeah. I mean, it would be really cool to have the same guy that you left behind on one world thumbing your nose at him suddenly show up on another world that you're exploring. And you can't, you can't explain that. And you know he's not cringeworthy. <laughs> so, so you're saying that as official as a, a fringeworthy position can get, it's not impossible for somebody to not be fringeworthy, but to actually show up on different nodes via a different mechanism. Okay. All right. I, that, that's fine. There could be other methods of going from one universe to another that doesn't require using the fringe path. That's right. right. The mythos included going traveling to other worlds through magical various means, either through your dreams or through other means. So, yes, it's quite possible in the, in the Cthulhu Mythos uh, collective to travel from one world to another. Myth Adventures by Robert Lynn Aspirin, they have D-hoppers, which is a little technological device that lets you hop from one world to another world. I want to make sure that that's clear because that's a very important distinction. But if you are a magical creature, then you know you have to have one of two things going for you. Either A, you have to be able to bring your reality with you in the sense of reality bubble, or you have to go to a universe that supports your reality, or you're just going to be screwed over like we just talked about. So like, for example, the show Sliders, yeah. where they were jumping from alternate Earth to alternate Earth, you could run into them. They're not even traveling in French paths. I hope not. If we hypothesize that there was some kind of a, a release system going between universes that created wormholes that connected in and unconnected in a seemingly random fashion that required some kind of intense calculation to come up with so that you could slide randomly for, to you from world to world, then yeah, sure, we could run into them. But then again, as soon as they disappeared, we'd never see them again. Right, that, that's fine. Let's talk about magic items now. How do magic items transition? In some magic systems, there are no magical weapons. Everything's done through personal prowess. In others, there are magical weapons. You have a magic sword or a magic hammer or a magic shield. Some have to be forged you know, by the gods or forged by uh, dwarves or made by elves. There's all kinds of different magical items, but they really break down into magical weapons, magical armor, and general magic, like uh, potions and stuff like that. Wings of flying and, and helms of teleportation. And yeah, that falls in general magic. It's a big umbrella. Yeah. So, so I guess my point is that, let's say I go to a world and I get a plus three sword. Right. Now, how transitional do you think that should be? Should that just be to any node that supplies any type of magic? Or should it only be on that note? I mean, how would you do it? We actually talked about this in an earlier episode when we were talking about whether you'd bring an item from a, a big, powerful magic item like Stormbringer from one world to another, and then when you did, all of a sudden you had this huge, oh, really heavy sword that was not wieldy at all, and you right. couldn't use it at all. It was just a big, old piece of something. This is black. Right. Who knows what it's made out of, you know? Uh, and and you're stuck with this, this thing that actually isn't useful at all. But that being said, I would say that following the rule of let's not screw over the players, I would say that as a GM myself that any world that supported magic, I would allow that sword to operate correctly. Yeah. 
or at least operate in some fashion. Yeah, some fashion that would be uh, favorable to the player. He would, he would, he or she would feel like they weren't getting screwed over. Now, in some cases, the item is maybe magically made, but it's actually not magical in its in of itself, like mithril. Mithril is actually made by elves through a various magical process, but it is actually some sort of metal unique to, to Middle Earth that is, uh, you know, stronger than the strongest diamond. And then, of course, you bring it to Earth Prime, and you find out it's made out of, you know, titanium. Or, or it's made out of some sort of strange carbon titanium molecule that go and say, how the heck did you do that? It, they shouldn't fit the air like that. Yeah, uh, that or Lucky ball could, thing, yeah. Right, right. It could just be carbon nanotubes weaved into a, a pattern, and it's like they do it through magic rather than trying to develop some scientific way of doing it. And they're like, hey, that's pretty cool, man. How'd you figure out how to get the uh, you know the carbon nanotubes lined up that way? Carbon nanotubes with, with, a, with a single iron crystal running through the center of them. And they're like, what's a carbon nanotube? Right. Yeah. Right. I did the ritual and I got the sword. What are you talking about? Right. Right. The point of the matter is, is that there's no reason why um, you can't explain things off. Like, for example, if somebody has a sword of sharpness, you know, in D and D, it's a sword of sharpness. You know, it's just, it does it because it's magical and it's called that, and that's what it does. But you know, you take it to Earth Prime, and they're like, "Wow, I mean, how'd you get this model filament blade to work out?" You know, and it's really, it really is science. It's just that they use magic to create the science. So instead of screwing the player, you can always come up with a reason for it to work. Yeah. Uh, you can always say, hey, look, you know what? Yeah, on this world it's magic, but in the real world, really what they've done is they've really created a really natural process. They've just used a different method to get there. Yeah. The sure sharpness is, now, the sure sharpness is you have to sharpen on other worlds because, well, there's no magic to keep it sharp. But as soon as you take it back to a, uh, a magical world, it resharp itself. I got lots of knives in my kitchen, John, that I never have to sharpen. Maybe there's just something about the nature of the blade that it's not actually that sharp, but it's it's uh, got a, a, a micro serration on it that it does the same job. I cut a lot of things. If you go and cut meat and bone, you're going to get sharpened again afterwards. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just a, it's a titanium blade. You know, in ancient times, they couldn't make titanium because titanium needs to be separated from its ore using electrolysis. But... Perhaps, you know, the, the magic that they use to create this sort of sharpness actually does an electrolysis process, you know. It's just done by magic, and that it's really just a titanium sword. What we're saying is that if you want them to have it, let them have it, and you can come up with your own double-talk reason why. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. They earned it, you know, they go to this long adventure, and they earn this item, let them have it. At least screw around with the items that aren't so important to them. Right. Honestly, really, something like a sword of sharpness or a plus three sword is not going to make or break the bank. It's still a sword. Right. If they whip that thing out and some guy's got a you know a fifty caliber sniper rifle, they're still going to get their head blown off. Yeah. But that wand of fireballs is off the table. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're evoking a power, then you've got to have some kind of thing behind it versus right. something that's really a physical object that's been imbued with other properties. Then how about a necklace of fireballs, which is another item you can, piece of treasure you can get. Maybe those little items are like small little spheres that contain a little antimatter, and when you throw it, it goes off and goes boom. 
So in our non-magical world, they go off and go boom, but everyone takes a lot of radiation. <laughs> just a little gamma radiation. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's okay. You can, Like I say, you can say, still give them the object, but still make them pay for it in the sense saying, okay, but it's going to act differently on this world because this isn't the same universe. Keep that in mind. You've got an object that isn't a mundane object. You know, there's some worlds you go to that uh, your radios don't work. You know, it's not just magic equipment. Any equipment can go to a world in which it doesn't quite work the same way. The laws of physics can be just tilted just lightly enough, just a tiny, tiny bit, and it changes everything. That's why you should always carry along a Petri dish full of live bacteria. If you go someplace and your radio stops working and, and the electricity stops working, leave a Petri dish by the portal, go out and go back in the platform and wait a day or so and come back. If the dish is dead then you know that it's a place you don't want to live, you don't want to be at. But, John, you can't take a Petri dish through because it gets rid of bacteria, the portal. Oh, then, okay, you bring a hamster or a mouse, all right? Oh, the poor hamster. (laughs) All right, yeah, John, the hamster slayer, okay. (laughs) And in regards to what you're saying, uh, Blix, is that, you know, there are a lot of items that are super science that can pose as an object that's either magical or psionic. And even some super science devices could actually produce whatever power it is that generate magic or psionics on the worlds that we're talking about. I mean, that's the point. It basically boils down to you're playing a game and you're traveling to different worlds and, you know, you get to a world and the way things are working, they seem like magic or they seem like science one way or another. But when you travel to another world looking at it from a completely different perspective, it can appear to be something else, but still produce the same effect. It really boils down to effect and then how you want to explain it. So you can go in either direction. That brings us to our our next uh, part, which is how much power should be available to player characters. The GM has to decide if he's going to allow this in his game, how much that he wants there to be available. You want your player characters to suddenly become like the equivalent of tremendous sorcerer, the wicked witch of the West, or is it going to be something small, not world-shattering? What do you think, Blake? I think, yeah, I think you have to get the way out where they're going to have power. A game master might say, all right, well, in this world, I'm going to let you have a considerable amount of power because the adventure requires that. When I run a game, I always think of things in, in terms of stress level. That's how I, that, that's where I like to run. That's how I basically base all my adventures, is where do I want the stress level? The more powerful the character becomes, the more powerful I have to make the villains, and the more powerful I have to make the requirements to get the job done. So it really all just boils down to stress level, because honestly, if the people become too powerful to run the adventure without any kind of stress, then it's no fun. And if they're not powerful enough to run the adventure, no matter how low the stress, then that's no fun either. So you want to keep a constant running of the stress level for the adventure. I guess getting to the point is is that you should give people some level of power, but of course you always have to watch. You don't want to give them too much. I mean, I, I guess it's just that's kind of like saying the obvious, but it kind of needs to be said because some people will let things get out of control and let them have whatever the players want. You've always got to be able to have the ability to bring them back down to reality. 
And I think that, that was an excellent point, Lex. The way I look at it is look at the other equipments your characters have. Is the magic less than or more powerful than that equipment? If you've got somebody who's got a fireball, how's that different than someone who's got a heat missile that you can fire right. off of the shoulder launcher? Magic missile is not as powerful as, a, as an AK-47 or a 50 caliber machine gun. Right. So if you've got characters running around with that kind of equipment, you shouldn't have to sweat things like casting fireballs, flame arrows, and all kinds of things like that. That's right. not a big deal. And as a matter of fact, they may actually, the magic users may be underpowered. You might go to a world where they've got all these great powers, but they're limited to, let's say, 40 or 50 feet away from the magic user, and you're a couple hundred feet away, a couple thousand feet away with your, your sniper rifle just taking them down. And that's where that stress level is. That's, that's not going to be any fun for the players because they're obviously overpowered to the, the adventure of the people that might be a threat to them. All right. It's like, right. I'll see your fireball and I'll raise you one willy peak grenade. Exactly. Right. So, and I know a lot of people get real worried about magic, but in, if you really look at it this way and say, you know, where are these guys running around with? Further on in the fringeworthy timeline, when they start getting their hands on a lot of super science and nanotechnology and all kinds of stuff like that, these people are going to be wielding power that is pretty amazing. I mean, you know, they, they sometimes talked about guys in Starship Troopers. Uh, they said that uh, the guys who were running around in the combat suits, the, uh, the armored suits, they, they were the equivalent of a destroyer in the amount of power that they could fire off. They were armed with, with nuclear missile launchers on their back. Yeah, they, sometimes they got those, but they also had just a ton of stuff that they could throw out in all directions. They would go in and raise a town, totally flatten it. It was expected to be something within their easel, easily capable of doing. Just for clarification, this is Starship Troopers, the book, not the movie. Right, absolutely. My favorite weapon they had was the talking grenade. Oh, yes, yes. I'm a 30-second bomb. 29. 20. 20. And, and let me tell you. If, 10, 9. Oh, I lied. <laughs> if any of you guys out there are listening to this and you've never read the book, Starship Troopers, you really should because, I mean, I love the movie, don't get me wrong, but the book... Uh, you know, I don't want to say it was better, but it was different. And it was as good on its own level. Right. So, and that's what we're talking about. I agree. I think that Starship Troopers is a wonderful book. Further along in the Fringeworthy timeline, you're going to have that kind of stuff because you're going to be facing bigger and bigger threats. Look at the power level of the game you're playing and where you're going. Decide then what's appropriate. This is where encounter levels help you out. Am I making it too tough or, or not tough enough? Uh, having run more than a few games in D20 Modern, I found that the current levels can be up a few more than what you think we need them to be. So if you have, like, a, a, a team that is, like, say, character level 4, you could probably throw them as current level 6 or even current level 7 in a situation and have them come out. I actually wrote an adventure that was published in Infinite Crossroads that actually dealt with this whole thing about gaining magic unexpectedly. The name of this adventure was called The Light in the Dark, and it was a pocket universe that actually went through a kind of a phase change where there were actually two universes within the same pocket universe that overlaid each other, and they would like take turns being manifest. Of course, being fringeworthy, you automatically shifted from one to the other, but in that particular world, what caused the shift from one universe to another was your ethical bent. If you were a good person, 
then you were in the light. And if you were a bad person, then you were in the dark. People in the light were terrified that they were going to do something that would earn them getting zapped over into the dark. Unfortunately, the people in the dark pretty much said, well, you know, if we're in the dark, we're damned, we're, we're terrible, we're, we're awful people, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And they really never rose to the challenge of being good. So it kind of was a one-way thing. But the reason I mention it is the fact that in the dark, there was magic. It was a huge amount of magic that was shared amongst a bunch of different people who were attuned to it, who were called wizards, of course, and they, you know, though it wasn't male or female. And these people had been collecting this magic and been basically in a kind of a uh, detente. They were each got an equal amount of magic, so they made their, these huge and huge defenses, and they sucked and put away all kinds of extra power and batteries and things like that, just waiting for the big battle they knew that was going to come so they'd be ready. And so there, there was literally a powder keg. And then the player characters came through, and guess what it turns out is the fact that they're also able to attune the magic. So the first wizard that they run into, they start grabbing onto his magic and sucking it into themselves, and all of a sudden they can do magic. And that wizard's like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm underpowered now. They're all going to come get me. And, of course, they do, usually, in these kind of scenarios. And, and so, of course, it was all a ploy by another mage who realized what was going on and set up the players so they would go after his worst enemy. But they ended up with all this magic. I mean, literally, God levels of magic. But as soon as they left the, the world, you know, the portal, they couldn't do anything anymore. Here on this world, you're a god. You can create anything you want. You can, you know, you can fly. You got, you're, you're invulnerable because you can turn back, all kinds of stuff. And then you walk out and you're just regular old Joe Explorer. So if you were walked right back in, right that second, would you have that power back or would it be somehow stripped out of you at that point? Well, I gave that as an option for the, the players. Uh, I would say that, uh, and of course we're saying uh, officially that if you walked out of the portal, you probably still would have the power while you were on the node. That's a decision that the GM has to make as to what happens to the power. Does it become in stasis? Then when you go to a world that actually does have magic, then bang, that comes back. We're kind of saying it does because we're saying that magic items still work, which means they don't get disenchanted by taking them out of their world. The magic effect becomes quiescent, but the power is not lost. In which case, yes, they could travel the friends path, they'd be normal in any world that didn't have magic, but if they came to a world where they did have magic, all of a sudden the battery kicks in, now they're, they're godlike power again. Well, listen, Chris, you as the GM say, no, that doesn't happen. Well, that's your option. Again, and magic is going to be different on any, every universe you go to. You could easily say you still have the ability, but it all gets stripped away. All stored magic that isn't active goes away. Something that isn't somehow uh, ritualized, uh, crystallized into an effect, like a magic item, goes away. And it's up to the GM. The main thing is, if it's going to break your campaign, then, then get rid of it. Okay, but otherwise... The whole point of it was for them to experience what it was like to be godlike. You better give them a good reason to keep coming back to the same world, you know, to enjoy this sort of thing. And I suggest that every game master do that from time to time. Every once in a great, great while, allow your players to be godlike just to get a feeling for it because um, it's actually very fun to play an adventure like that. It's not fun to continue like that for any real period of time. But it is fun to go through it and experience it. 
there's two problems that you run into in this sort of situation. And I actually ran into it in that scenario. And that was, if not everybody did the same thing, then only some people gave the ability to absorb the magic. And which meant that just where all the spotlight went, went all to those two players. Everybody else was just kind of walking along as henchmen. And now we've got a couple of godlike characters walking around. That wasn't any fun in the long run. So you, you got to nerf that. Or you have to do something to bring the other characters either up to the same level of power or give them something that will gain them an equal amount of spotlight time. If the players start doing good deeds, all of a sudden they get shifted over to the light and you say, oh, by the way, magic doesn't work in the light. And you're stripped of all that power and it goes back into the whatever in the, in the, in the dark. It would be perfectly valid to say that the, the, the nature of this place is, is that the magic can't leave. So if you leave, okay, the magic just basically gets dumped back into this world and gets spread around to everybody else who's there. You know, it doesn't mean you can't come back and steal some more magic later on, but that's just the way it is. You're going to lose it when you leave. You go to a comic book universe, a Marvel universe, and you get hit by a gamma ray. You get turned into a Hulk. That's Basically, going to happen in the Marvel Universe. So if you travel out of there and you go to, say, you know, another world down the line, you're not the Hulk anymore. I hope not. What's interesting here is, is that what you're saying is what this implies is that if you want to run a Supers campaign for a little while, let's say we're playing D20, so, you know, the character's going to go to a Mutants and Masterminds world. And you say, well, you know, I really want to do a superhero campaign for a while. So everybody comes through, and they come through, say, on some moon base or something. Maybe that's one of the, where one of the portals goes, or where they came through. They went to the start. They went to the systems, and they came through there. And they get hit with some kind of cosmic burst or something. And now you tell everybody, okay, well, you have this power, you have that power, someone else has this power. Or you give them PowerPoints, say, you know, make up a superhero of some kind, and this will just be the manifestation of what happened. You have an excuse for running a superhero's campaign for a while, and then when they leave that node, they're not superheroes anymore. You haven't actually screwed up anything that was important. You haven't, you haven't messed up your, your, your continuum for your, you know, your story arc, but you've also at the same time allowed them to go into a story arc where they could play superheroes. Right. Something you wouldn't get on any other kind of science fiction game. That's the whole point of multi-genre. You want them to leave before they level up, though, because when they level up, they'll be wanting to spend points on their powers. And you really don't want them to because you want them to leave. Yeah. Right. And it goes from magic, too. You're on a world where magic works. Besides being French, you're also a, a magic user. That's great, but you know, I hate to say it, you know, you, you've been given a, a set of powers based on your current level. Don't waste any time trying to develop it, because when you leave, it's going to go away. Right. Now, what I would be really careful about as far as magic is concerned, uh, or psionics or anything else, or superpowers, is because this is an ongoing campaign... Usually the biggest advantage that you get from magic and stuff like that is the ability to do some kind of divination. And that can really wreck your campaign. So I would really recommend that you avoid giving your characters that kind of power. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is they're going to find some artifact on some world, and they're going to find legends about it, and it's going to say, oh, it did this, these great things. You, you were invulnerable, or it, it created, turned everybody into zombies, or something like that, but it's broken. 
So you take it over to the magic world and says, oh, hey, let me use a mending spell on this item. Oh, it works now. Great. Now I can take it out of here and now I can use it. Or I do a divination spell and now all the secret information on how to use this item is available to me and I can now work the item where I couldn't do it before. I mean, that actually can work for you on the short term, but in the long term, I see it as a campaign buster because then you'll never have any opportunity to have any mystery. You'll never have them following clues to try to figure out something to get some information on various worlds and all put it together because all they have to do is go to that one world, cast a spell, and they've got all the answers. There's one way to nerf it, and I know players are going to hate when I say this, the divination comes back and says, what's going to happen in, in five years? And it comes back and says, you're not here in five years. Sorry, there's no information. It's a divination for that world and not for any place else. Well, yeah, that kind of divination, but I'm talking about something where you're doing an object reading to try to understand something or yeah. you're trying to read somebody's mind and interrogate them. You know, I mean, it, that's, and that's actually fair. I don't mind that too much as long as, as, long as yeah. it's not abused. Uh, I'm just saying that you have to look at your, your campaign. Now, if you're playing a campaign where you're fringe security, you're Meller Hunters, you know, interdimensional uh, rescue team, okay, then this is probably not going to be a problem. I mean, you find some kind of great item to use, then you just it's just another piece of equipment you're going to use, and, and divination is not going to be a problem. You know, grabbing somebody, dragging them over, finding out what's wrong with them so you can cure them, that's a good thing. Okay, that's not a bad thing. You know, and, yeah. and frankly, the Tamellan dock box will do the same thing for you. Yep. So you got to look at what kind of roles these people are playing and whether or not this kind of thing is going to mess up your, your game. In this kind of a situation, you could actually do this where it would normally break a campaign, but because you're limiting your play to only these kinds of adventures, then it's totally okay. It's a camp. It's a campaign of one shots. Basically, you're doing episodic TV versus a big story arc. Okay, so that's Magic and Psy. We really didn't make much of a distinction between Magic and Psy, other than say that they were from different power sources. Usually, it's going to be really more based upon what kind of game system you want to use, and of course, you might want to mix and match because you are going to different universes that have different laws. And you could take one shots using a different game system if you think it better models what you want to do. We've mostly talked about where does the power come from, whether or not it extends outside of the node of the, the set of platforms and portals that are in one particular universe. Uh, what happens if you go from a world that has magic to a world which it doesn't? And how appropriate is this kind of thing for your characters? Is it going to hurt them in the long run by giving them a power that takes away from the uniqueness that is their own character already? This is something that uh, the, I think you should discuss with your players uh, if you're the GM, and if you're the player, you know, discuss it with your GM. And most importantly, don't be afraid of it. Almost always, there is a super science version that's even more powerful than that is. So as long as it's appropriate for your campaign and the place in which you are in the timeline of your campaign, don't be afraid of it, have fun with it, and let us know how awesome it was. But until next week... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. Thank <laughs> you.